We inform. Religious freedom is about people of faith being able to live out their faith, live out their convictions, no matter where they are. We equip. This is a battle of worldviews. And we activate. We also rejoice in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance, character, and character hope. This is AFA at the Core on American Family Radio. Welcome to AFA at the Core here on the American Family Radio Network. My name is Walker Wildman. Good to be with you today on the show, AFA at the Core. Hey, by the way, for those of you who don't know, the reason we call this show AFA at the Core is because we focus on the core values of the American Family Association each day on the show. And AFA, American Family Association, is the parent ministry of American Family Radio, which is the broadcast you're listening to. So you have American Family Association as the head parent ministry, and then underneath that you have various departments and divisions, one of those being American Family uh, Radio. So some people don't know that. They think there's just, just American Family Radio, but there's so much more than that that we're doing here at American Family Association. So so glad to have you with us there, and that's the uh, the purpose and the intent behind the name of the show AFA at the core. And if you go, if you want to go read our six core values, you can go to our website, afa.net, and uh, explore around a little bit and find our mission, vision, and values there uh, listed. I would cite them for you, but I would like for you to go read them for yourself because there's a lot of good information there with our mission, our vision, and our core values. The uh, uh, scripture for the week is Proverbs chapter 3. Verse 11 and 12, my son, do not despise the Lord's discipline or be weary of his reproof, for the Lord reproves him whom he loves as a father, the son in whom he delights. That's directly out of the book of Proverbs, verse 11 and 12. The uh, Today, I had a little special treat. I got to, by the way, next segment. Um, before I forget, we're going to have a very special uh, guest with us. We're going to have a U.S. Air Force veteran on the show with us who was intimately involved in some sort with uh, the tragedy that happened on September 11, 2001. So we'll talk with him by the name of Dano. We'll talk with him next segment about his testimony, his story of uh, that day 20 uh, years ago, just over 20 years ago. Um, but today I had a special time with my wife, Lexi, and we got to go see our fourth uh, child, our fourth boy. We had an ultrasound visit today, and I got to see my little boy, Isaac Gregory, in the womb. He's about 18 weeks and one day, weighing about eight ounces. So he's coming along. He's going to get up there um, in weight, but he's doing very well. Uh, My wife is pregnant with our fourth boy, Isaac, and so everything is going well there. So that was exciting. But here's the double treat that I got. As I'm walking into the doctor's office to see my my little boy, um, I see my sister-in-law who just had her child, uh, her baby girl, just had her baby girl last week. And so I see my sister-in-law, and then which means my brother's somewhere around. Uh, so I find my brother uh, who is holding my little brand new fresh niece, um, Anna Wesley. So I got to see both my boy Isaac and my little niece all within a five minute span. It was just like, 
I couldn't have even planned that. It couldn't have been any better. So uh, that's what I did this morning after my show prep. So I'm very thankful for all the little Wildman babies we have in our family. And I love being a dad to my four boys. Speaking of being a dad, uh, it's so important. Um, and I, th- I think, I, I don't know where I got this from. Maybe I was reading reading something um, uh, earlier. Well, well, it has to do with my scripture. That's where I got it from, this thought about um, not despising the Lord's discipline. About us as children, as God's children, not despising the Lord's discipline. And it's so important, and I can I can testify to this firsthand. It's so important that as parents, raising, discipling, disciplining our children, uh, that, that that as parents we have full control of our household, especially fathers, especially men out there. It is very, very important that men have full control of their household. And what I'm specifically talking about is not just spiritual control, uh, spiritual leadership, uh, but also um, discipline and behavior control with your children. It's so important. And this word control, um, some people try to make it out to be a bad word. It's not a bad word. It simply means to manage or to have a grasp of. Um, So uh, you see a lot of parents, a lot of households that are chaotic. Uh, The children tell the parents what to do. They talk back. um, They disobey. And it can lead to a very frustrating environment and it, it ends up actually working against the children and the parents in the long run to where um, there's not a lot of respect there not a lot of mutual love um, so so parents I just want to encourage you to stay the course make sure you're properly disciplining your children and uh, that will end up benefiting them and yourself uh, both mentally and emotionally down the road uh, so that's so very important and don't let the world weigh off uh, uh, wear off on you don't let the world wear off on you. The world will tell you that you just need to let your kids do whatever they want to do. You just need to stay out of the way. Don't be a helicopter parent, so on and so forth. But all of that is built on worldly wisdom, which is no wisdom at all. Uh, the wisdom of the Lord tells us not to despise the Lord's discipline, and you can carry that on to say that do not despise uh, your father's discipline or your mother's discipline in your household. So a little bit of word of encouragement there and a challenge to our parents out there. Hey, jumping right into the news of the day, I came across some very interesting articles over the past few days. And um, before I do that, uh, I'm going to play clip three here. Let me set this up, though. Um, I had Dr. Peter McCullough out of Texas on my show a few weeks ago. I actually re-aired his interview yesterday as a best of or special edition. And uh, here, Dr. Peter McCullough, I'm asking him specifically about COVID early treatments or COVID preventative treatments. Because if you if you watch the news out there, if you watch CNN, if you listen to Fauci, there's nothing else other than the vaccine. That's all, that's all they'll say. They'll say, well, we have a vaccine, but they won't talk about anything else. They won't even talk about uh, the antibody treatment. They won't talk about hydroxychloroquine. They won't even talk about over-the-counter vitamins. They won't talk about anything. They won't even talk about going walking, how it's good for you to get outside and exercise. All they talk about is get the jab, get the jab, get the jab. And if you get sick, stay at home. Um, And if you get too sick, go to the hospital. That's all we're getting, which is not very helpful information at all. So let's listen to Dr. Peter McCullough, about a two-minute clip, talking about how you can stay healthy. 
Well, you're right. We really have heard nothing from our government officials, our public health agencies, and there's been a complete block in the media for any information on prophylaxis and treatment of COVID-19. And this is part of what's called the Trusted News Initiative. I think all your listeners should know about this. There's an overt censorship program that's been openly announced uh, last year for all the media. Uh, And that is to only promote the vaccine. That's the only goal of the media. And they will, in order to promote the vaccine, squash any information on prophylaxis and treatment and anything on vaccine safety. That's a trusted uh, news service. Everyone's following it. So that's the reason why Americans will be blocked from this important information. And it's one of the reasons why they're leaving mainstream media and going to uh, outlets like this to learn. So let's go over it. In order to prevent COVID-19, recent uh, updates that we're going to have in guidance is that uh, individuals who are getting exposed to COVID-19, especially during this uh, current outbreak, they should use a dilute betadine or a povidone iodine, a dilute betadine solution, just a few drops in a glass of water, swish and spit that twice a day. That kills any virus that's come into the mouth. Use Q-tips and do the same thing in the nose twice a day. That's uh, now supported in concept by the American Dental Association. Dentists have been using this all year long. Dentists have been in the mouths of people all year long, and nobody's no dental outbreak, so it's really amazing. If someone's allergic to iodine, they can use dilute uh, hydrogen peroxide, sodium hypochlorite, or even just yellow Listerine, uh, uh, regular original Listerine. It has an anti-infective approach. Beyond that, to prevent the illness, there's two uh, uh, accepted approaches. One is one one day a week, hydroxychloroquine, uh, 200 milligrams twice a day, or ivermectin twice a week, and that's weight adjusted. Uh, So that's what we can do in order to prevent developing COVID-19. And that's true whether or not one's had the vaccine or not, because we know the vaccines are not stopping COVID-19. So we need these uh, preventive measures. There you have it. That's Dr. Peter McCullough, well-respected doctor out of the state of Texas. He has an extensive resume and he's been at multiple institutions and he's the most published uh person in his certain specific arena when it comes to cardiology um and he's testified before the texas legislature also testified before the u.s senate so he has uh the respect of many because he's built trust and he knows what he's talking about um so that was him talking about early treatment protocols and by the way he is uh one of Uh, The groups that he's associated with has published an entire uh, PDF guide to early treatment, which I'm going to post on my podcast page at AFR.net today. Uh, AFR.net, you click on the AFA at the Core podcast, uh, go to today's show, and you can click through uh, to that PDF document, which specifically outlines everything Dr. McCullough just said, but it does it in about 15 to 20 pages, so a lot more supplemental information. Uh, jumping to this NPR story, you know, I don't typically rely on national public radio, uh, government-funded radio for my news and information, but hey, this one uh, was a can't miss. And this has to do with the clinical trials, the phase one, two, and three clinical trials that were done under the Trump administration by the FDA and CDC um, for the vaccines for these shots that uh, we have on the market today under the emergency use authorization. Uh, these, uh, this is a story about those trials. And here is the headline by NPR, not by Walker Wildman. This is the headline by NPR. 
long-term studies of COVID-19 vaccines hurt by placebo recipients getting immunized. And just to provide a little bit of background here, the key to having very um, effective and accurate long-term clinical trials is to have a placebo group, to have a controlled study where you have one group that actually gets the medicine, whatever drug you're testing, and then you have another group who thinks they get it, but they really got like a sugar pill, or they get they just got injected with water or something else. Um, so that's the, the definition of what a placebo group is. Um, but here's, okay, so that's the background, or that's the definition, and here's the story from NPR. Tens of thousands of people who volunteered to be in studies of the Pfizer, BioNTech, and Moderna COVID-19 vaccines are still participating in follow-up research. But some key questions won't easily be answered because many people who had been in the placebo group have now opted to take the vaccine. It goes on to talk about a specific individual by the last name of Mott, M-O-T-T, who lives in Overland Park, Kansas, got a strong reaction to the second shot, so she correctly sur- uh, surmised that she had received the Moderna vaccine, not the placebo, because of her uh, reaction. Her body's reaction to the actual jab uh, gave her the indication that she probably got the real thing in this clinical trial. She was sad to read that one of the volunteers in the placebo group did die of COVID-19. The story goes on to say that there was about 650 volunteers in this control group are in this clinical trial, and it was it was operated, it was run out of uh, Johnson County Clinical Trials in Lenexa, Kansas. The doctor leading the clinical trials for these two drug companies was Dr. Carlos Fierro. The important part here is that NPR admits that the vast majority of the placebo group, they were notified by the drug companies that they were in the placebo group after the trial was done. No, not after the trial was done. Halfway through the trial, in the placebo group, the vast majority of them went to get the shot. So Moderna and Pfizer, they eliminated the placebo group. There is no placebo group for these clinical three uh, trial phases. And we'll talk more about this after the break. AFA at the core. See you in a minute. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect, Romans 12.2. My name is Abraham Hamilton III, and this is the Hamilton Minute. Paul's epistle to the Romans was written to believers. This verse highlights the fact that it's possible for Christians to be conformed to the world's ways. The word conform there means to be squeezed into the mold of another. Rather than being squeezed into the world's mold, the Lord requires us to be transformed by having our minds renewed by God's word. Everything about us must be held up to the light of scripture. And wherever there's any discrepancy, we must be transformed. Listen each weekday from 5 to 6 p.m. Central for The Hamilton Corner with Abraham Hamilton III public policy analyst for the American Family Association. 
This is Raising Godly Girls Minute with Patty Garibay of American Heritage Girls. Does your girl encourage or discourage her peers? Is she the Debbie Downer or the silver lining seeker of her friend group? We know our girls have learned personality traits that align with their innermost selves. Might your girl be learning to constantly seek out the negative through your actions, peppering her young sweet spirit with learned negativity? A godly girl is one who lives in the hope of Christ. To live in hope is to seek out the joy in today and expect the good in tomorrow. In Paul's letter to the Thessalonians, we read, Therefore, encourage one another and build each other up. Adopt a spirit of encouragement in your home. Share Godwink's affirmation and silver linings, especially on those difficult days. Like what you've heard? Learn more about empowering girls through the love of God at RaisingGodlyGirls.com. You know, a lot of times you have to choose between something high quality or something that saves you money. But if you can get both, why not? Especially when it comes to health care. And that's MediShare. You get both. The typical family saves 500 bucks a month switching to MediShare. And that's huge. But it's also true that people are way more satisfied after making the switch, too. The customer satisfaction rate for MediShare is double that of the typical health insurance plan. Double. It's because MediShare works. It's been around for more than a quarter century, and members have shared more than $3 billion of each other's bills. People love having telehealth and a huge PPO network. So yeah, really, you could save a ton and like it better. Imagine being happy with how you're taking care of your health care. If you're self-employed or part of the gig economy, or you just want to plan you're happy with, you can call right now and get a price within two minutes. Here is the number you need. Call 833-44-BIBLE. That's 833-44-BIBLE. 833-44-BIBLE. AFA at the Core podcast are available at AFR.net. Back to AFA at the Core on American Family Radio. There's a name that can silence every fear. There's a love that embraces the heartache, the pain, and the tears. Through my faith and my doubting, I know one thing for sure. His word is unfailing. at the core here on American Family Radio. That was our Worship Wednesday song. Be All Right is the name of the song by Evan Kraft. Uh, some of that early on was in Spanish there. He's a Spanish uh, Christian uh, musician, also there in English. But uh, the song there is Be All Right, Evan Kraft. Uh, leading off there, the lyrics, there's a name that can silence every fear. Um, there's a love that can embrace the heartache, the pain, and the tears. Uh, from Evan Kraft there. That's our Worship Wednesday song. Hey, before we re- uh, uh, introduce our guest here, I want to wrap up that story I uh, closed on in the last segment about this placebo group being basically eliminated in this uh, in these clinical trials. The um, 
uh, the Dr. Ferrero, or Fierro, who was heading up this Kansas study for Moderna and Pfizer, um, she uh, she admitted in this NPR story that she has no no placebo group left. She has no comparison group left to continue the clinical trials. And these clinical trials were supposed to go on for years, but instead, uh, these uh, these cl- these uh, placebo groups have been eliminated because Pfizer and and, and uh, Moderna notified the placebo group that they didn't receive the real shot, the real vaccine, which is a big no-no in the whole clinical trial world of scientists. Uh, She goes on to say, uh, the doctor in charge, she says, it's a loss from a scientific standpoint, but given the circumstances, I think it's the right thing to do. I'm sorry, he says, Dr. Fierro is a male. Uh, Going on here, but getting feedback from somebody else is a fellow by the name of Dr. Stephen Goodman, he is from, he's a, a clinical trials specialist at Stanford University. And uh, here's what he said. He said, uh, losing those control groups makes it more difficult to answer some important questions about COVID-19 vaccines. He goes on to say, we don't know how long protections last. We don't know efficacy against variants for which we definitively or definitely need a good control arm. We uh, also don't know if there are any differences in those parameters by age, race, or infirmity. Uh, so over, all in all, a bad idea to eliminate the placebo group in the clinical trials. Uh, now we really have no way, a part of those trials, no way within those trials to know really anything uh, past the point where they eliminated uh, the placebo group. So we'll talk more about that later. Hey, I want to welcome on the line with us a, a U.S. Air Force veteran by the name of Dano, who had a key role and a very important story to tell about what happened on September 11, 2001. Hey, Dano, welcome to AFA at the core. Hi, Walker. Thanks for uh, having me. Can you hear me all right? Yes, sir. Got you loud and clear. Uh, hey, Dano, tell well, us. Uh, per- yeah, yeah. go ahead and, and, and tell per- us a little bit about your background before we get into to September 11th. Well, I appreciate uh, the invite and uh, Mr. Bob Rosa and Richard uh, there for bringing me on the air and uh, I guess uh, my prelude to all this would be, uh, no matter what for all of us, my heart goes out to all the first responders. I know it's been, uh, you know, four days since, uh, I don't know if we should necessarily call it an anniversary, but uh, Hmm. a remembrance and telling military members and and their families, uh, that's what should be in our hearts. Uh, For for me, I, I grew up in Pittsburgh. I was the youngest of seven. Had a lot of military members in my family. Uh, my dad and uncles were in World War II, and uh, a lot more that served. So uh, I ended up doing 26 years in uniform, and then four as a civilian. And I was enlisted officer and uh, uh, contractor at one point. So sort of been on all sides of the fence. But uh, um, I'll try to keep it brief. Uh, I came in as a crew chief, which is effectively a mechanic. When I was 17, uh, on a really old airplane, it was a 1952 model P-33, which uh, are, are, we're obviously not uh, flying those now except for at air shows. I transitioned to the F-15 Eagle. I uh, went to night school. I started working on my private pilot's license uh, on weekends. I got my bachelor of science degree, went on to my master's uh finally got my pilot's license, um, 
got hired by the Air Guard uh, out of Virginia, and that's where I met Bob. So we go back uh, to about the 1989 era. Uh, went through all the schooling to learn how to fly F-16s. It's about a three-and-a-half-year process. Uh, came back to Richmond, and uh, and that's uh, effectively how my flying career started, obviously, in uh, fairly high-performance aircraft. Um, and then uh, ended up uh, sort of seeing all the different... Uh, Obviously, everybody knows we've been in conflict for a long time, but uh, I was in Desert Shield, Desert Storm, Bosnia, 9-11, Iraq, and Afghanistan. Wow. So I'll leave it at that for yeah. now, but the, the events of 9-11, I guess, is what you guys were, yeah. were wanting to know. Yeah, um, absolutely. And Bobby, uh, Bobby Rosa, my producer here, he's the one you're talking about. Bobby connected. Uh, uh, actually, y'all's friendship goes back to the late 80s. Is that correct, Bobby? Yeah, that's correct. We've uh, we've known each other a number of years, and um, what I what I like about Dano and being able to to bring him onto the show is Dano's, uh, as he's talked about, he's got the whole perspective. He was an enlisted guy for a long time, worked around uh, fighter aircraft, and uh, was blessed with the opportunity to get his commission, fly with the F sixteen, and so forth. So, uh, Dano, can you uh, can you get us to the highlights in in uh, what your day looked like on nine eleven? Sure. So uh, the Friday prior to the Tuesday when the events unfolded, uh, two of us were in Halifax, Nova Scotia at an air show. Real good deal for us. Always a lot of fun. We get to teach uh, people about our aircraft. We, we took our two jets up there, and uh, I had never been to Shearwater. Uh, I believe they call it an air base, but uh, beautiful part of the world, and Life was good. Monday, um, we flew to New Hampshire, and uh, we had sort of a sister tanker unit there. There are air refueling platforms, and we've known these guys for forever, and uh, we stayed overnight there. And then, of course, Tuesday morning happened, and uh, you know, I was in the hotel, and I, just like many of us, I saw what was unfolding, and I did a lot of work in the field of safety, and I knew it wasn't a small aircraft that hit uh, the first tower, and uh, we left there uh, in a hurry. We were at a Hampton Inn. I'm not doing a plug for them, just letting you know, and uh, sure. <laughs> we uh, we uh, we drove to the basin, and uh, of course, our jets are parked out on the ramp. We went into what's called Threat on Delta, which is... Uh, our highest level of security. I didn't even know if they were going to let us on. The unfortunate side of this is we were unarmed because we don't take armed aircraft to air shows, uh, which only makes sense. And um, we had two different configurations. Uh, my uh, flight lead had more fuel than I did, so uh, that that won't really become a factor, but... Uh, by the time we got into base operations, which is sort of like the command center for everything going on, every TV was on in the in the facility. Um, it was quite chaotic, as you can imagine. Now, um, let me ask you this, Dano: Are you still in yes, uh, Nova Scotia? Or are you are you back in in 
in uh, at your base. I'm now. in New Hampshire at this point. This part of the story. Okay. So, so we we were in Nova Scotia Friday, Saturday, Sunday, Monday. We flew to New Hampshire, and now we're trying to get out of New Hampshire to go help. If that makes sense. To get back to Virginia. Yeah, and our commander wants us back. Uh, we were actually short on some pilots that we had a, a few of our guys deployed overseas at the time uh, for a whole nother uh, situation. And uh, and so we have two perfectly good aircraft and uh, two pretty highly trained guys. Like my flight lead was a lieutenant colonel. And I believe I was a major at the time, but uh, so it was a little bit interesting because of course the FAA in fact, in fact, specifically, a guy named Mr. Spliney, I think that's how you say his name, he made one of the best decisions I thought ever made. He worked at the FAA in Leesburg, and he said, land everything in the United States right now and stop all departures. Wow. Um, hopefully he saved a lot of lives. We might never know, you know. And uh, So he was, the one to, though, he was the one to give that directive at the FAA? You know, this is his first day on the job, and there's a book out there um, called Touching History. Uh, and he had just become like the operations officer for that particular section of the FAA. And uh, this is, I, I'm not a huge book reader, but I couldn't put this book down. It's, uh, uh, I know a lot of people that were in it, and, uh, and I understand a lot of the situation that was breaking out that day, but. I thought it was a phenomenal decision to make, uh, uh, and uh, Bob Rose is going to come into play here in a second. So their commander in New Hampshire now, um, he, all he knows is everything in the United States has been grounded, and I'm probably belaboring this whole story too long. So he doesn't want us to take off. Uh, at one point, they said they'd authorize deadly force and i'm like they're gonna shoot us we're the good guys you know and um i didn't think they would do that but i'm like well you know it was a good run that's what i was kind of thinking and uh, <laughs> good way to go out <laughs> yeah and uh um bob bob i believe you're the one that called and said take off under due regard right that is correct yeah hmm. yeah so due regard in a nutshell, means the military accepts responsibility for separation of aircraft and everything else. Well, you know, it's amazing if you go look at the air traffic control depiction of that day, uh, how we got all these aircraft on the ground. And most of our friends uh, are commercial pilots. I don't know who's on what flight. I mean, and they fly for everybody, United, American, Delta, it doesn't matter. Mm. Um, so there's a lot going through your mind, uh, as you can imagine. And, uh, so we uh, uh, we walk out to the flight line, and uh, and again, if I'm running too long on your show, you guys let me know there at the core. But yeah, we got we got uh, two minutes for the break. But go ahead and continue with your story. Okay, I'll keep this quick. Uh, There's six security force enlisted troops standing there with, I believe, M16. So that's like our military policemen, effectively, mm-hmm. and. All of a sudden, they make a quick move, and I got a little nervous because I'm like, well, here it comes. And uh, these guys saluted us and did an about-face and let us walk right out to our airplanes. I thought that was world-class. Wow. 
and this is in New Hampshire, you're trying to get back to Virginia, and these guys, these these guards, these military guards, let you go to your aircraft now. Yeah, yeah. And, and, I and, actually and, and now, by by this time, had had the order been given to ground all flights, all domestic flights in the U.S. Yeah. Okay, so you're about to take off, and you're going to be one of the few planes in the air, uh, besides yeah, probably Air Force One we're, and a few other military planes. Well. I was trying to count the numbers thinking about this this morning, and I know you just call it when you have to go to break, but uh, there were some some fighters over D.C., some coming out of Richmond, some, well, the two of us, at one point we were the two of three airplanes only over New York, which you'll never see. Um, mm. And then there were other bases that were launching, Massachusetts and uh, Ohio and everything, but... Uh, we would be the first ones getting into New York, and it was just eerie because my radar screen was blank. Yeah, you would never, on a normal day, see that at all. Do you think? Do you think at this time, or do you know if President Bush had taken off from Florida already? No situational awareness on him at all. Um, uh, and of course, no the call sign that they used, and I'm not going to go into anything classified here, but. Uh, uh, all I'm worried about is Americans, well, and anybody uh, getting killed with these airliners, and we were trying to come up with a game plan. How are we going to do this? Were you getting, Dano, at this point, you're, you take off from New Hampshire, headed back to Virginia, so you're airborne. Were you, having, were you getting any direction from your, your higher-ups, or are you flying solo? Well, we're flying as a two-ship. We climbed up to 20,000 feet, and we were doing uh, just over 600 miles an hour. Um, and it was the clearest day I ever remember flying. And, uh, yeah. I mean, it was just pristine blue. And I called up uh, a navigational ad at LaGuardia Airport and glanced over, and, you know, you could obviously see the smoke. The second tower... Um, had just collapsed. And again, wow. for any of your listeners out there, these are not things people want to remember or talk about necessarily. Yeah. So I hey, can I, can I keep you on for about four or five more minutes? Yes, sir. All right, we'll keep you on past the break. Uh, so hang on a couple minutes. We'll bring you back in after this break. AFA at the core. I'm Walker Wyman. We're talking to an Air Force veteran here, Dano, who was in the air over the U.S. on 9-11 in his military uh, jet. So we'll be back in a few minutes. The American Family Association's mission is to inform, equip, and activate individuals to strengthen the moral foundations of our culture. We also support the church. Our goal is to be a leading organization in biblical worldview training. Here's another of our core values. We believe that our ministry, as well as everything in the heavens and on earth, belongs to God, and our role is that of a trusted manager. Thank you for standing with AFA as we seek to stop the erosion of godly values. Hurricane Ida is one of the strongest hurricanes to hit Louisiana to date. Thousands are in need of hope and help, so 8 Days of Hope is headed to Louisiana to help them begin rebuilding their lives. If you're local to the area or if you can travel, you're very welcome to join. But if you can't do that, you're still able to help through your prayers and donations. To sign up as a volunteer or to donate, 
go to 8daysofhope.com. 8daysofhope.com. Hi, I'm Miki Addison, and on behalf of American Family Association, we would like to invite married couples to participate in this month's By Design Challenge. We're calling it the Date Night Challenge. This month, if you are in the Jackson, Tennessee area on September 20th, my husband Will and I would like to personally invite you to join us on the campus of Union University for a night of biblical truth and encouragement for you and your spouse. If you are not able to attend, simply make reservations at a restaurant or create your own date night at home. Make it a night dedicated to connecting with your spouse. In order for us to know you participated, take a picture and post it on our By Design Facebook page with the hashtag BDDateNight. Go to afa.net slash by design to be encouraged and reminded that our marriage is God's marriage and it's worth fighting for. One man, one woman for life. This is Life Issues with Brad Mattis, president of Life Issues Institute. The Biden administration is doing everything in its power to stop the Texas legislation ending abortion once the baby's heartbeat can be detected. During a rare question and answer period with the press, President Biden said, I respect those who believe life begins at the moment of conception. I don't agree. This is flat earth science. The Carnegie stages of human embryonic development are the scientific gold standard of when life begins. The Carnegie stages are internationally required to be used professionally in all textbooks written by human embryologists. They state life begins at first contact of the egg and sperm. So at first contact you have an actual human being, not a possible human being. Get more details at lifeissues.org. Follow us on Twitter at Life Issues USA and stay informed, more informed than you've ever been. AFA at the Core podcast are available at AFR.net. Back to AFA at the Core on American Family Radio. Welcome back to AFA at the Core here on the American Family Radio Network. My name is Walker Wildman. Glad to be with you today. Hey, we got a special guest we've had on with us the past 20 minutes. Dano, who's a U.S. Air Force veteran. Uh, who has uh, a story to tell about where he was uh, on 9-11 as things played out, as the tragedy played out on our homeland. Uh, Dano, picking back up on the story, at this point in, in, in what's going on 20 years ago, you are in the air in your military aircraft headed from New Hampshire back to your home base in Virginia, and you, you were mentioning you were over New York when we went into the break. So continue your story from there. Uh, going back to Virginia. Okay. Um, and thanks for having me back. Uh, you know, as we transit various sectors of airspace, you talk to controllers. Well, they kind of lost their title because they didn't really have control because of the chaos that went on. But we'd still check in with them and uh, let them know who we were and what we're doing. And you could hear a nervousness in all their voices. And that was a rather unnerving, not to sound funny, because these are normally men and women that handle high-stress situations very well. And I can remember one controller uh, down in Washington saying, oh, my God, I lost control of the NCR, which, as most of you probably know, is the National Capital Region. Um so I felt bad for those folks. Uh, we did a combat air patrol, what we call CAP, 
over New York. Two F-15s from Massachusetts came in and backfilled for us, and we transited down to Washington, D.C., and, uh, you know, in the fighter community, we have a lot of goofy call signs and everything. Well, a friend of mine, Raisin Kane, um, he had already set up a cap over the Pentagon. I looked down. Again, I was at about 20,000 feet. Um, nothing I could do. The Pentagon's billowing black smoke out. Hmm. Horrible, horrible things I knew had just taken place as well as New York. I was unaware of what was about to happen in Shanksville. We had a couple of our airplanes with call signs like Decon and Omar uh, coming northbound on I-95 for anybody that lives on the East Coast. It was sort of a there's no humor in the day, but it was sort of a comical radio call because Raisin says, F-16s northbound on I-95 come up this frequency, and I'm like, you don't normally hear that. <laughs> yeah. And then another another friend of mine, um, meanwhile, buildings are being evacuated in Crystal City and Alexandria, and another friend of mine comes supersonic over Mach 1 uh, up the uh, Potomac, breaks the sound barrier, and all these people are evacuating buildings, and all they hear is a jet and sonic booms, and there's paper and smoke going everywhere. So you can imagine the panic and the gridlock of the cell phone network and traffic. Well, we get back to Richmond, where I was based out of, and uh, like Bob and I were talking about, uh, the, the world had just completely changed. It was, you know, kind of... a combination Vietnam era and a, and a new kind of war because we were, I'm not going to say a sleepy base, but uh, I had never, when I taxied back onto the ramp, I had never seen so much activity, live missiles, um, high uh, explosive incendiary bullets uh, being loaded in our jets. Uh, we even had retirees come out to the base to volunteer to help with whatever they could. Wow. Uh, I, saw, I saw people guarding gates that were carrying guns that I normally would not have trusted with guns, but that day <laughs> I was okay with it. Yeah, whatever you got to do. Uh, and, uh, and of course, our, our building's locked down, and I get told I'm immediately on alert. Uh, and then I went in and I read probably something I never thought I'd read in my life. It was a document we call an air tasking order, and this was signed by then-Vice President Cheney, and it said, uh, paraphrasing, it said, you're cleared weapons-free over Washington, D.C. upon any hostile intent of another aircraft. And I thought, wow. oh, my God. So that's We're your... not supposed to have wars in our country, you know? Yeah, so that's your order. Uh, you, you were... You're, you're... Air, airplane was armed. Your military aircraft was armed, and the vice president, oh, yeah. the vice president, authorized you to use whatever means necessary to Correct. to defend and, DC. And and please don't take it the wrong way because it's not what any of us ever thought of or wanted to do um, to you know shoot an airliner down. And for anybody listening to this in the air right now, feel safe. We've got. Uh, air defense units all over the country, um, and our our men and women that uh, man those twenty four seven three sixty five are 
very well trained, very disciplined, and uh, you know we'll do everything we can to protect uh, the U.S. and uh, uh, you know our job is not to go out there and uh, be heroes by any means. We we just want to do our job. Sure. That. Dano, if I could interject one thing, I, I think it's important for the listeners to know that. While all this is taking place and going on and, and, and so on and so forth, you uh, were expecting your third child, your youngest daughter, at this time. She was due in, uh, in what, two months from, uh, three months from, from the, these goings on at the time. Yeah, she was, uh, so I, I was thinking about this the other day. Um, my kids now are older, so I have a boy and two girls. Uh, um my oldest is 25 and change. My other daughter just graduated from the Air Force Academy in May and 22. And, uh, and then my youngest uh, uh, was born in December of uh, one. And I'm, you know, I'm trying to tell them some of these stories and everything. And uh, I realized I'm like, geez, they were only like, Three years old, one year old, and not even born yet. Yeah, you know, I was in uh, Dano. I was in the first grade. I remember it vividly. I was in the first grade, and my teacher tried to with the. That was when they had the TVs on the carts, uh, the huge, oh, yeah. big, big TVs on the carts, and they rolled them around. And I don't know, I don't know how. I'm trying to think of how we would have had cable on a portable cart unless you just roll it up to a wall and then and then uh, plug the coax in. Um, but our our teacher scrambled, got a TV, and somehow we ended up with the news on our television. Um, and then, of course, my mother came and picked me up from school. But I vividly remember that day, and I'm sure some of your older kids do. Maybe not, obviously, not the one uh, that was uh, seven months in the womb. Uh, but what was right. your what was your uh, directive uh, that afternoon, and then in the weeks and months ahead? What was your directive out of Virginia? Well, uh, that that. Order I told you about kept growing larger and larger. Rules of engagement started to be applied to it. Things got a little bit complicated. We had to, you know, have briefing sessions on shooting airliners down. You start thinking, you know, this is not where I, I wanted to be. Uh, just, just meaning it, you know, doing that kind of job over the U.S. Um, uh, we would typically fly in two ships. We sat alert. Um, which means we had about uh, 15 minutes to get airborne from the time uh, we scrambled. Um, our average mission, I would say, was five and a half to seven hours long. It took off all times of day and night. Um, when we got airborne, you sometimes didn't know where you were going to end up. Uh, you could be Detroit, Jacksonville, D.C., New York, I mean, you're just, uh, you're, you you get airborne and then you wait on the order, on the specifics. Yeah, most of the time, unless you're going to a dedicated cap mission, most of the time uh, we get airborne and I'd hear proceed direct to such and such, and I'm like, huh, I think you know I'm going to Florida right now, and mm. and a lot of times the reason that would happen is another base would be under really severe weather and they couldn't launch, so we you know. We'd cover, and then you have to, you know, air refuel constantly, and um, that's another thing I never expected doing over Washington D.C. Uh, um, but we we did our best guarding everything we could, and sometimes we had to escort 
suspect aircraft and to land at uh, airports I couldn't even land at because the runways were too short. Um, but, yeah, that order became the, the thickness of probably four or five inches. And we flew, uh, Bob can correct me on this, but we flew about nine months straight. Um, you couldn't plan anything with your family because you just didn't know what your work schedule was going to be. Um, I flew a lot of night missions. I didn't mind it then. Now I can barely see to drive at night. So welcome to getting older. But, uh, <laughs> hey, let me, let me ask you, uh, Daniel, let me ask you one more question. As a, as a young dad, I'm interested. Were you there for the birth of your daughter? Yeah. Okay. I, I, I made it. If, uh, uh, if I can say one thing I'm blessed by, I was there for all three kids, and uh, mm. the doctor didn't even show up for the birth of my third daughter. And I said, I'm not getting charged for this, am I? <laughs> <laughs> you better not have gotten charged for that. <laughs> uh, I think I did, but uh, that's all right. So you were defending the homeland and delivering babies. Amen. All in, in the same time frame. Hey, Dano, I know there's so much more we could go into. We could probably do a whole show, probably an hour or two on your story. Uh, but God no, bless look, you. Hey, look, th- yeah, last word. Walker, pe- people are sick of hearing from me already. You don't want to do an hour with me. <laughs> no, man, we're going on 40 minutes, and I want to keep going. Hey, I, no, on a serious note, I want to thank you for your service to our country. And uh, – I get emotional if I start talking too much about it. But, I mean, if it wasn't for guys like you, we wouldn't be here. So God bless you, and and thank you for your service, your sacrifice. Well, uh, thanks to you, Walker, Richard, and Bob especially. And uh, God bless all of you, and God bless the USA. And I really appreciate you giving me this opportunity to tell my story publicly for the first time in 20 years. Wow. All right, it's been our treat. God bless you, man. We'll hopefully have you on again sometime. Thanks, Dano. Dano, one one from right. Fury Ops. You cleared off cold. God bless you, brother. <laughs> Take All care, right. Dano. Thanks, Thanks a lot, Dano. Bob. Wow, okay, that was we'll uh, that was a special right there. U.S. Air Force veteran who was uh, coming back from uh, New Hampshire to Virginia on the uh, on the morning of September 11, two thousand and one and uh, explained his story about their flying over New York, flying over Washington, D.C., over the Pentagon, and uh, back to Virginia, and then being on call for nine months out of Virginia to protect the homeland with his military aircraft, with his jet. Uh, Bobby, what kind of jet? I get 15 and 16 confused. Yeah, uh, 15 is much bigger. Um, that was the first one that I kind of cut my teeth on in Germany. Um, of course, I was a budgeteer back what, in what, those what days. What would Dano but... have been flying? Dano was, uh, he first flew um, A7s before we got the uh, the F-16 in, in 1990 uh, when we were in the Guard together, uh, both full-time at that time in, in Virginia. Um, he has a number of hours. He has over 2,400 hours in the F-16 alone, uh, something like 3,800 hours total, and virtually all of that is in fighter aircraft except for his trainer time. Hmm. Um just an awesome individual. He was a wonderful, wonderful officer to work with. Um, I never got to work directly for him, but but with him on many, many projects. And um, he was well-loved and well-respected yeah. by everybody in the enlisted cadre as well as his peers. Yeah, and, and younger folks, including myself, were a little bit more emotionally detached from 9-11. 
just because that's how it happens. If if you, if you weren't an adult and didn't vividly live through it, sometimes you lose touch with yep. uh, with history. But you know, uh, Bobby, um, you you can only imagine the people who went through that. But not only went through nine eleven, but then they deployed uh, to uh, overseas, yep. and now they're still alive. Many of them mm. to see what's happening with the administration. Yep. And our military, I mean, it's it's got to lead many vets to some serious emotional issues. Yeah, um, the last statistics I, I saw, um, you know, veterans from the desert and so forth, uh, we're losing them at a rate of about 20 a day mm. uh, simply to suicide, never, lo- never, uh, never mind any uh, injuries they've incurred or uh, things of that nature, but just from suicides over 20 a day. Um, in the military, it, it's important that your leadership has your back. Yeah. And when your leadership doesn't have your back, you feel like you're an island unto yourself. Uh, and that can lead into some very serious problems. Yeah. And that's, you know, I don't want to politicize this too much, but it's unavoidable to talk about the VA system and president Trump, former president Trump, um, he was doing anything and everything uh, in his authority to make access available for veterans uh, through all kinds of different orders that he did, um, allowing veterans to go to other clinics outside the VA and still have the costs covered. So um, it, it matters who's in the White House. It absolutely matters who's in the White House because we need them uh, to defend our troops and to uh, make sure they're taken care of. Amen they take care of us. AFA at the core. I'm Walker Wildman. We'll be back next time with more AFA at the core. The views and opinions expressed in this broadcast may not necessarily reflect those of the American Family Association or American Family Radio.